Masechet Ketubot, Afkof Yod Aleph, a long series of Agadot about the importance of the land of Israel. Tenor Banan, Olam Yadur, Adam, Be'eretz Yisrael, Afilu Be'ayir Sheruba Goyim, Ve'al Yadur Bechus Alares, Ve'afilu Be'ayir Sheruba Yisrael, Shekol Hadar Be'eretz Yisrael, Dome Kemi She'esh Lo Eloa, Ve'chol Hadar Bechus Alares, Dome Kemi She'en Lo Eloa, She'nemad Latet Lachem Et Eres Kenan, Le'ot Lachem Le'elohim. One should always live in the land of Israel. Even if it's in a city, that's mostly not Jewish. And that's better than living outside the land of Israel, even if you're living in a city that's mostly Jewish. It's good to live in a Jewish community, uh, but being in the land of Israel is even more important because anyone who lives in the land of Israel is like someone who has a God. And anyone who lives outside the land of Israel, it's as if he has no God. Since the Pasuk in, in Vayikra says, to give you the land of Canaan to be your God, meaning it's a Waiting, having living in the land of Canaan with with Hashem being our God, so he's, it's only true in the land of Israel, not outside. Now, the, this Baraita we analyze really literally. If you're not living in the land of Israel, it's like you don't have a God. I mean, is that is that really true? Really true. No, we're not taking it literally that he has no God, but rather anyone who lives outside the land of Israel, it's as if he is worshipping idolatry. When David was running away from Shaul and he had to run outside the land of Israel and he comes to Shaul and he says, uh, they have driven me um, uh, today the out of uh, they have driven me out this day that I should not cleave to the inheritance of God, meaning outside the Nachal, outside the land of Israel. And they said, "Go, sir, go worship other gods." Now, no one actually told David go worship other gods, but you see, David is equating them to not live in the land of Israel is to not be in the in the holy land in uh, in uh, uh, connected with the Shekhinah to live in other lands where idolatry is rampant and it's very difficult to not be influenced by uh, one's surroundings and therefore um, being outside the land of Israel is uh, equated, is, um, is, is compared to idolatry. So still very strong language, not as bad as having no God at all, but it's uh, still a uh, form of a, a foreign worship. Okay, very strong language. Rabbi Zera was living in Babel and he wanted to move to the land of Israel. However, Rabbi Yehuda did not want him to. That was his teacher. And so he was avoiding his teacher so that he would not have to uh, hear Rabbi Yehuda's disapproval of his making Aliyah. Because Rabbi Yehuda said, Anyone who goes, moves from Bavel to Eretz Yisrael, violates a positive commandment. So this is interesting. After we just said that living outside the land of Israel is like idolatry, here we have a different view. We're going to see um, throughout the sugya there is uh, there more than one voice, uh, more than one opinion about it. And especially uh, Bavel is not just any other land. Bavel has yeshivot, it has uh, chachamim. It's um, has an elevated status over and above any other random land. Uh, 
Pavel Ayuval v'shamayu ad yom pokti otam neum Adonai. Because after all, Avuda quotes the pasuk in Yirmiya. Yirmiya predicts that the exile is coming, and he says, "You are going to be brought to Bavel, and you will be stay there and uh, remain there." And he tells them that they should build houses and have families and and prosper there, pray for the welfare of the government there, and then you'll stay there uh, safe. Um, until the day that I remember you and I will, Hashem says, I will recall you, bring you back to the land of Israel. So you see, you know, it gives a commandment, go to Bavel, and therefore we must stay in Bavel. If you leave Bavel and make Aliyah, you're violating Yirmiyah's commandment. All right, Yudah has a good proof. says, no, look at the context. Yudah is, in fact, the Peshat. The context is that the vessels of the Bet HaMikdash, they will be brought outside until Hashem remembers His nation, and then the vessels of the Bet HaMikdash will be brought back to rebuild the Bet HaMikdash. And it's not talking about um, the people. In fact, it's good to make Aliyah, the Bizera says. But Av Yehuda, what's he going to do with that point? Ketiv kera charina, hishbati etchem benot Yerushalayim bispaot or bailot hasadeh. So Av Yehuda instead quotes a different pasuk um, from Shir Hashirim. Uh, look at we could look at the full pasuk because this is going to be a central pasuk in the upcoming discussion. Hishbati etchem benot Yerushalayim. Are you Jew? You I make you uh, swear. Uh, maidens of Yerushalayim, um, by gazelles or by hinds of the field. We're going to talk about why, uh, what that has to do with the swear. But the point is, do not wake or rouse love until it is wanted. Um, in other words, the... Um, the beloved here is saying, right, don't arouse, uh, the, the love has to be uh, presented, um, has to be given at the right time when it's going to be accepted. And you can't jump the gun, right? You're not going to ask someone to uh, marry you on the first date, right? That's going to scare them off. They have to be ready to accept it. And this is compared to B'nai Israel and HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that B'nai Israel cannot come to the land of Israel before they are wanted. Uh, you can't jump the gun. When it's redemption time, then, yes, everybody will go to Israel. But before that time, remain in Bavel. And this is a vow that Hashem makes a vow on us that we should not go and make Aliyah earlier than the time of redemption. That's Rav Yudah's position. Rav says, I agree that that pasuk means that um, uh, that we shouldn't go to Israel too early. But this is talking about en masse, bechomat, as a wall, meaning a mass immigration to Israel uh, should not happen until the time of redemption. But if an individual says, I want to live in the land of Israel, then that is praiseworthy. That's what Abiy Zerah says. Rav Yudah says, there's another hishpati um, in chapter, this was, the pasuk was in chapter 2. In chapter 3, it says again, another vow and so that vow is not only for every for people coming as a group but even an individual so what would he do about that is going to use that vow for something else as in fact it says uh, the vow the three times in Shir Hashidim. There are three vows. And so what's he going to do with each one of them? Number one, that people, the Bnei Israel should not go 
um, en masse as a big group and co- moved to Israel before the time of redemption. Second, God makes us take a vow that we should not rebel against the nations of the world. In other words, we're going to be in exile for a while, and if we try to rebel, it's probably not going to work out well, right? And the rabbis are saying this after the the revolt of 70 CE, after the Bar Kokhba revolt, trying to make a revolt against the Romans is only going to bring destruction to the Jews. So, Remain uh, good citizens and um, uh, and support the government until the time of redemption. So that is an important survival strategy. And the third one, The third one, God makes a vow and commands the other nations of the world that they should not subjugate the Jews too much. Right? The Jews will be subservient as uh, as as people living in these different lands, um, but don't uh, don't don't persecute them too much. I don't know if the, the uh, nations of the world listen to this often, um, but a lot of times they didn't. But nevertheless, this is a kind of um, a vision of the rabbis of what, how, how, what we should do in exile. Listen, don't just try to go and move and make a, make a, a new, uh, repopulate Israel when it's not the time. Um, it's not, not going to work. We are supposed to be in exile, right? Hashem said, you need to be in exile. That's your punishment until it's time to come back. And on the other hand, be good citizens. And we hope that the gov- our foreign governments will be not so mean to the Jews. So this is actually very famous, these three uh, vows, uh, because this is, in fact, the basis of the Satmar Hasidim. They quote this, and that's why they don't support the state of Israel nowadays, because in their opinion, where it's not the time of redemption. And therefore, if we're going to go on a mass immigration to Israel and rebuild the state before it's time, it violates this very vow. And that's, uh, that's uh, the reason that they do not support. Okay, others say, uh, it is the beginning of the time of redemption, so it is a good thing. All right, but anyway, this machloket that we see in the Talmud is continuing until today. Uh, so, Vedav Yehuda, so Rabbi Zerah, anyway, he agrees with this Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Chanina, and he would agree that we shouldn't make a mass migration, but I want to go individually, that's all. So that's permitted. This is only uh, a mass migration is not allowed. So, Vedav Yehuda, what is he going to do? Uh, where is he going to learn that even an individual should not go to Israel, and Israel answer im ta'iru ve'im te'aredu ketib. It says in the first pasuk uh, to a double language ta'iru to awaken and stir up. So that is a uh, uh, that's a prohibition not only against a big group but even a single person should not go to Israel before the time. Vidibizera, what's Vidibizera going to do with the double language of awakening? Uh, so he needs this for the Bilevi because he, he says, why do we need these six oaths, the three that we just said, and then each of them is a double because you have this double language, so it's three times two. So we have three that we accounted for with the three vows here of Rabbi Yoseb, Rabbi Chanina. And the other ones, Inach, Shelo Yigalu Ataches, Veshelo Yilchaku Ataches, the other three vows are, is that we should not reveal when the end of days is. If you know, don't tell anyone. Um, and you should not distance the end of days. Don't say, oh, it's going to be in a very long time, because then people will lose hope. 
Uh, there's, there's danger both ways. If you reveal the, the end, so far every, uh, every prediction of when Mashiach is going to come have been wrong. So they don't have, people don't have a good track record. And what ends up happening is you say, it's going to be you know, next year, in five years. That date comes, people build up their hope, it doesn't come, and then they go into depression, so it ends up being even worse. And a lot of, a lot of very negative things happen because of these false predictions. And Ambam warns against making any false predict, any any predictions at all. Uh, but to say, oh, it's not going to happen for a long time, then also the Jews will lose hope altogether. So you have to keep it a secret. Uh, and also do not reveal the secret to the nations. What secret is this talking about is not clear. And if I, even if I did know, I wouldn't be able to tell you because it is a secret. Um, but it could be talking about some kind of uh, uh, maybe a, a trade secret, a community secret, maybe a secret, some secret paths in the Jewish cities, um, uh, uh, escape routes or something. In the city of Engedi, we found a mosaic. Uh, in fact, that talks about um, a curse upon anyone who reveals the city secrets. So there must have been some kind of secrets. Maybe they are um, uh, some military secrets or, or professional secrets. I, I don't know what they are because they are, in fact, secret. All right. Since we quoted this pasuk in, in, in Shira Shirim, um, so let's. Wh- why is he? Uh, why is the uh, beloved making a vow uh, upon the gazelles and the hinds of the field? It's uh, the beloved represents Hashem, who is making a vow to Israel. It says, if you follow, if you keep this vow the vow uh, that was just above, right? If you don't start up with the nations and all that, um, then good, then you'll be safe. And if not, if you decide that you're going to go and uh, take Israel too early, or you're going to go and rebel against the nations, then I will abandon your flesh and you will be like sevi, sevaot is a plural of sevi, um, like gazelles, like hinds in the fields that the other animals just go and eat. Um, in other words, you're going to be destroyed. And so that's why I adjure you. Um, uh, otherwise, you'll be like these gazelles in hinds in the field, in the field, uh, and hinds in the field with no protection. Okay. Okay. So first we had we start off with statements about how living outside the land of Israel is like avodazara. Then we saw the Bizarah wants to go to Israel. Rav Yudah had a different opinion. Yeah, eventually, but not now. But now we're going to go back to positive things. Anywhere, anyone who resides in Israel, uh, he, he lives without transgression. Since the Pasuk in Yeshaya says, And the inhabitant shall not say, I am sick. The people that dwell there shall be forgiven their iniquity. Anyone who lives in, in the land of Israel, Nesu Avon, he has no sins. But we have a different view, and it's very interesting, because the uh, Rabbi El-Azad is from Eretz Yisrael, so he's praising the land of Israel. Ravah and Ravasheh are living in Bavel, and they say, no, we read this pasuk differently, but this is talking about someone who's sick, as it says in the beginning, in the beginning pasuk, Chaliti, right? Someone who is sick, his sins are forgiven. The, the, uh, the suffering and experience of sickness forgives that person's sin. It's not talking about the land of Israel. So we already see again here how the, say, some of the sages in Bavel 
de-emphasize the uh, the importance of Israel um, and raise up the importance of Babel. Amad of Anan, Kola Kabor Bet Israel, Kielu Kabor Tahata Mizbech, Ketibacha, Mizbach Adamata, Sedir Tivatam, Vichipel Admato Amo. Okay, some but not all, Sidav Hanan is from Babel, and nevertheless he is saying that anyone who's buried in the land of Israel, it's as if he's buried under the Mizbeach. As you know that, because on the one pasuk says adama, it compares the the altar to uh, to earth. Um, uh, that pasuk saying that one should build the mizbeach only out of earth and uh, not out of uh, cut stones. And the other pasuk said in in Ha'azinu says um, Hashem will atone for the land of his people, Admato Amo. And so if you have here uh, the word ad, uh, Admato, and that's a kapara, uh, so too we compare the Adama here to the Adama there. And here, this, this Adama is talking about the land of Israel, Rav Kiru Admato. Um, so the land of Israel is called Admato, and the Mizbech is also called Adama. So therefore, anyone who is buried in any Adama, any land uh, in the land of Israel, is compared to, is, has a holiness, has a status, like the altar itself. The altar is the center point, but all of the land of Israel has a, uh, a holy status, and so that is um, a positive to be buried there. Okay, Ravanan actually doesn't say you should live there, you need to live there, but he just says to be buried there. But that will be the next discussion. Ula often would go to Eretz Yisrael. He would go back and forth a lot. He loved Israel, even though his main residence was in Babel. And he died outside the land of Israel, right? Atu amru leil Rabbi Elazar Amar ant Ula al adamat tamut. So they told Rabbi Elazar that Ula died out in Babel, and Rabbi Elazar said that replied to him the pasuk in Amos, "You shall die in an unclean land." I mean, like uh, you know, too bad for Ula that even though he came to Israel so often, he didn't have the merit to die in the land of Israel. He had to die outside in a in an unclean land. They told him, "I don't know about." So no, Rabbi Lazar, don't worry. His coffin is coming. He will be buried in Israel. So it's still right, just as good, isn't it? Because we just said how good it is to be buried in Israel. So he is going to be buried. Says, no, it's not the same. Um, being absorbed, absorbed by the land of Israel when you're alive and dying in Israel is a much higher level than dying, being absorbed by the land outside uh, in Babel and only coming in a coffin, right? If you want to, um, uh, it, it, it's so, somewhat positive to be buried, buried in the land of Israel if you die outside, but better to actually be living in the land of Israel and then eventually die in the land of Israel. Okay, so this is um, this would be an argument for people who want to be buried in Israel and buy a plot there um, is a good thing, but even better is to actually live there and uh, then eventually die there and be buried in Israel. So now we have a dilemma of a person who uh, has a need to leave Israel. So he, this guy, this guy lives in Israel, and his brother died without children and leaving a Yevama, and she lives in Be'hoza'e, all the way far in Bavel. So this man came to the Bichanina and says, what should I do? I have a mitzvah of Yibum, right? And I'm willing to do it, but I'm going to have to go all the way there, out, leave Israel, to do the mitzvah. 
אמר לה, אחיו נשא כותית ומת, ברוך המקום של הרגו, והוא ירד אחריו, רבי חנגב זה very sharp answer, and he says, your brother, he married a כותית, וכותית is talking about a Samaritan, a disparaging name for a Samaritan, emphasizing their foreignness, that they, they uh, once upon a time came from כותה, Um, outside the land of Israel when Ashur mixed up all the nations. And so uh, he means here that his brother actually married a Jew, right? Uh, the Yevama is a Jewish woman. Otherwise, if she was not Jewish, it wouldn't be a mitzvah of Yibum. So he's disparagingly call, calling his brother and his wife Kutim, foreigner outside the land, outside um, the Jewish people, even though they are uh, biologically Jewish, Uh, or, or, you know, uh, they, they could be converts, doesn't matter. Even though they are Jewish, the point is that they're outside the land of Israel. So he gives them a disparaging name as foreigners. So your brother married this foreigner uh, outside of Israel and he died. Uh, blessed is Hashem who killed him. Now, does he deserve to die for living outside the land, land of Israel? And you, the, the Yavam, the brother, you're going to go and follow in his footsteps and go outside also? Then you'll deserve to die as well. All right, I guess, I guess that was a no. Do not go. Uh, so now this is now uh, Rav Yudah in the name of Shemuel who live in Bavel are now going to elevate Bavel um, uh, to be secondary only to Eretz Yisrael. Just like a person is not allowed to leave Eretz Yisrael and go to Bavel, so they're agreeing, yes, Eretz Yisrael is the highest, highest level, but so too one is not allowed to leave Bavel and go to any other land. Bavel is second uh, in status and a higher level than all other lands. And Rabban Rav Yosef say, even from Pupedita, which is in Bavel, where they have the yeshivot, and go to a place close by, Bekube, but it's outside Bavel, don't move there, even though it's not so far. One person actually did move from Pupedita to Bekube, and... Rav Yosef excommunicated him. Another guy, he left Pumpedita and went to Estonia, outside the land of Bavel, and he died. Rabbi said, if he wanted to be alive, he would still be alive. He just had to stay in Bavel. So you see that the rabbis in Bavel are comparing living in Bavel uh, to living in the land of Israel. Bavel has its own holiness, not as great as Israel, but definitely greater than any other land. So they say that those who are worthy in Bavel, those who are very righteous, then Eretz uh, Yisrael will absorb them. In other words, they will, they, uh, will eventually uh, move, be buried and move and uh, live in the land of Israel. Those who are righteous outside the land of Israel, then they will be uh, merit and be worthy to eventually come to Bavel. So um, Eretz Yisrael is to Bavel as Bavel is to other, other, other lands. Now, Lemai, for what purpose, what do you mean absorb them? For what uh, 
what law does this apply to that you're absorbing? If you're saying for lineage, that their lineage will be as good as the people that live in Eretz Yisrael or Bavel, no, but, but uh, the master said that all the lands are like dough. Dough is mixed up, right? It's all different ingredients mixed up. Um, so all the lands, the people there, even though there's some community, a Jewish community, we don't know the lineage of the people. Some people intermarried. They came from wherever they came. Uh, we're not sure. Was it a good conversion? And so in, out in the nations, every, everyone's lineage is mixed up. So it's considered dough compared to the purity in the land of Israel. Yet, the land of Israel is considered dough compared to Bavel. In other words, in Bavel, they were very, very strict with lineage. This is true because even the Persians were very strict with lineage. And so the Jews living there also were super strict to make sure that, you know, if you're a Kohen, they know you're Kohen. If you're Jewish, then they can trace exactly who you are, where you came from, and they know that your lineage is totally kosher. So Bavel was a higher level in lineage even than Eretz Yisrael. So therefore, Rabban Rabbi Yosef can't be talking about lineage that Eretz Yisrael is greater than Bavel because actually Bavel is greater than Israel for that. Rather, we're talking about burial, that the righteous people who, who, who live in Bavel will merit to be buried in Israel. The righteous people outside the land, outside, outside of Bavel will have a merit they can't go all the way to Israel, but they'll have a merit to go at least to Bavel. So that's the two levels. Rav Yudah actually goes a step further. The same Rav Yudah before who told Rabbi don't go to Eretz Yisrael. He says, if you live in the land of Bavel, it's as if you live in the land of Israel. An amazing thing, right? It's, it's good. It's the same. It's not before we were saying Bavel is a little bit less than Israel. Rav Yudah says it's the same. And he knows this from a pasuk in Zechariah uh, that says, oh, um, Hoi, Sion, escape you who dwells with the daughter of Bavel. So you see it's comparing in parallelism Sion and people who live in Bavel. So they're equal. Bavel lo Abaye says, in fact, there may be even a benefit of living in Bavel. There's a tradition that those who live in Bavel will not suffer the pangs of Mashiach. Before Mashiach comes, just like when there's a birth of a baby, before the birth of the baby, which is a wonderful, happy thing, there's, a, a, there's a suffering of birth pangs by the mother. Uh, so too, before Mashiach comes, there's going to be some destruction, war, suffering in the world, and that will be affect Israel, but it will not affect Bavel. So, in fact, it's even better to live in Bavel until you, while you're waiting for Mashiach. And we understand that when we say Bavel here, we mean specifically the city of uh, Hutzal of Binyamin, and that's why people call it Karna de Shizabta, meaning the horn of salvation. This is a good time, place to be while awaiting for Mashiach, and in fact, even better than being in Eretz Yisrael. Rabbi Al-Azhar says those who, the, the, the dead, who are buried outside the land of Israel will not be come back to life. They will not enjoy the resurrection. Because it says, I will place um, my glory, Sevi, 
in the land of the living and we understand uh, sevi to mean the land that sivioni that my desire sevi means my my desire i love the land of israel meteha chayim so when it says chayim all i will give life only to those who are in Eretz Sevi, that are in Israel. But if you're in a land that I do not desire, says God, then though they will not have Chaim, they will not enjoy resurrection. Pasuk in Yeshaya says, Your dead shall live, my dead, dead, dead bodies shall arise. Or your dead bodies should be. Uh, in ancient Hebrew, can be a second person. All right, your dead bodies will rise. So, so describing a resurrection. My love, So to be Abba Bar Memal is going to challenge Abel Azad. Why do you think that resurrection is only in the land of Israel? Look how Yeshaya has double language. Isn't the double language mean one phrase is for Israel and one phrase is for? Outside of Israel, in both places, the bad, the dead will rise. According to that interpretation of Rabbi Abba, which is based on Yeshaya, what is he going to what is he going to do with this pasuk in Yechezkel that says only the God's desirous nation uh, will live? This is referring to Nebuchadnezzar. Um, the, uh, as, uh, as, 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 and says, I will bring you a king who is swift as uh, who is as swift as a deer. Sevi, the Sevi is a reference to Nebuchadnezzar, so it's not talking about desirous, but rather actually a deer that is quick. That refers to Nebuchadnezzar, who's going to come quickly to the the land of Israel and bring destruction. So it's not a positive pasuk, it's actually a negative pasuk. Um, ambiguity of the word sevi and what it means. And so he can explain the pasuk that way. So according to the Abba, a resurrection will happen in Israel and outside of Israel. So Rabbi Elazar says, I have yet another pasuk. I, I, I agree the pasuk in Yechezkel is ambiguous, but there's another pasuk in Yeshaya, chapter 42. This was the Haftarah for Parashat Bereshit that we just read. It says Hashem um, gives breath to a nation on the land and a spirit to those who walk on the land. The Yeshaya is making refer- making Bereshit reference, right, to give soul into a body, Veruach, and, and walking. All that is in the beginning of Bereshit. But here it's not talking about Adam, but rather to the nation of Israel. And so uh, here it says clearly that God will bring new breath, meaning res- future resurrection, to the people that are there on the land. Aleha, ba means only to the land. Okay, uh, so, but the answer, Rabbi Abba says, All right, what are you going to do with the other pasuk? I already told you that it says it twice in Yeshaya, one for Israel, one for outside of Israel. And Rabbi Al-Azhar will answer, oh, That double language there is talking about stillbirth. Uh, someone who is uh, a still, uh, who's um, 
uh, uh, stillborn outside the land of Israel, they merit resurrection. After all, right? What the, what ch- chance did they have to move to the land of Israel? They they weren't even able to be uh, alive when they were born. So the, the they even if they're buried outside, they will make uh, they will be resurrected. This is a consolation to uh, to to families who uh, suffer. Uh, that tragedy of having a stillborn, right? Don't worry. They will. They will. Even though they didn't have a life now, they will have a future life. Um, that's what's talking about. But anyone else uh, outside the land of Israel, sorry, no resurrection for them. So now, what's to be Abba going to do with this uh, pasuk of putting, uh, giving life on the land? Sounds like only on the land. And not um, only on the land of Israel, and not outside. So how are you going to interpret that? Rabbi Abba, who thinks that the people in Israel and outside the land of Israel both um, enjoy resurrection, uh, he will explain this pasuk in Yeshaya that teaches that even a Canaanite maidservant in Israel, uh, even though she is not fully Jewish, nevertheless she also um, is uh, sure to cut to um, gain the access to the world to come. Since it says the word la'am aleha, the nation that's in the land, what nation? He says not talking about Israel, but rather he's comparing this word am to the word im hachamor. Now the word im hachamor, this is said by Avraham, he says to his na'arim, you stay here with the chamor. Now we wonder, what does it matter? Why does he have to mention the chamor? Just say you stay here. Right? Why does he have to say you stay here with the donkey. So Midrash says, he reads Aim with as Am. You, a nation who is compared to a donkey. So this is very disparaging Midrash. Nevertheless, because we have this word Am here that refers to um, other nations and the word Am Aleha in, um, in Yeshaya, we actually learn something positive to it that even though this nation is in some ways similar to a donkey, even they, because they live in Israel, they will get a share in the world to come. The rest of the pasuk and spirit to those who walk there. What? Why specifically walk? Anyone who walks for Amot in the land of Israel is sure to gain a place in the world to come. Agadot in general, as uh, uh, many point out, speak uh, sometimes in exaggeration. So I don't think that means you can just walk for Amot and other otherwise be um, a low life that you'll gain uh, a world to come but it means um, a walk and with the appreciation of land all that it stands for all the morality and all the mitzvot that re- that represents and walk there then uh, sure to be a part of the world to come now question this whole time is arguing that people are only resurrected in Israel. Nobody outside the land of Israel will be resurrected. Really, Rabbi Lazar? What if someone's righteous and they don't live in Israel? They're buried outside. They're not going to be resurrected? They will be resurrected, but they're going to have to roll to Israel first and only then be resurrected. And so 
that's uh, a bit of a pain. So better to be buried so you'll be in Israel to be close by. But they will be resurrected. Resurrected. They just have to roll there first. Matkif Wait a second. If they have to roll, then that's going to be a lot of suffering. So should the righteous have to suffer because of it? And the says, no, they'll have tunnels. They'll go right through, through the tunnels, super fast, no um, no suffering. And so don't worry. The righteous people, even according to the Belazar, we don't want to accept that the righteous people won't um, enjoy the resurrection. And now we're going to talk about Yaakov, who Avinu, who is who dies in uh, in in Egypt. That will be a good example of a righteous person, and um, and then he's mummified, and uh, uh, um, but then he's taken to uh, Israel, right? He commands his son Yosef, right, um, that you should take me and t- t- to Israel and bury me in Israel. So Amar Kana. So Kalma says there must be some kind of inner meaning here because didn't Yaakov know that he he was a righteous person and if um, the dead who are buried outside the land of Israel can still be resurrected and roll and go through these tunnels so why did he bother trouble his son to take him to uh, to Israel so there's a challenge to what we said just above that the righteous people buried outside the land of Israel don't worry they'll go they'll roll in the tunnels they'll be fine they'll be resurrected if so why did Yaakov have to be buried in Israel and the answer is because Yaakov was worried even though he knew he was righteous but maybe he was uh, he was he but he was afraid maybe he would not merit the tunnels and we'd have to roll and it'd be suffering so he said, take me to Israel just in case I have some uh, some demerit and I won't uh, merit this uh, the, the tunnels. And similarly, when Yosef died, he also was mummified and he remained in Egypt and he told... Um, uh, and he told Ben Israel, when you eventually go out, remember to take my bones out of here and bring me to Israel. This would seem to be unnecessary if Yosef knew that he was a righteous person. And if you think that that people, righteous people outside the land of Israel, are resurrected and they'll go through the tunnels and they'll be fine, so. So why did he bother uh, his, uh, the, the nation to have to uh, take him, uh, carry his coffin all the way through the desert, 400 paras? Uh, so the answer is again he was worried maybe he won't merit to have the tunnels and have to suffer so better to be there already famous third generation Amora in Bavel had some brothers who lived in Israel and the brothers wanted to encourage him to come and make Aliyah so they sent him the following message so they sent him this Agada that they saw before even though Yaakov knew he was righteous Still, right? He said, I want to be buried in the land of Israel. Who knows? So if Yaakov Avinu wanted to be buried there, you too. You should come and and, and join us here. Ilfa Mosif Ba Devarim. Ilfa added some more more things to this uh, statement to Rabbah. There was a person who 
um, was uh, suffering because he loved a certain per- a woman outside the land of Israel. So he wanted to leave Israel so he can go and marry this woman. But when he heard this Agadah, he said, forget it. I'm not leaving outside of Israel, uh, outside of Israel uh, even though I'm going to lose out on this relationship. Uh, nevertheless, um, it's better to live in the land of Israel. And he suffered because of that until the day he died. Interesting, he uses the word Gilgel Batsma, that he had to, had, to, had to lower and suffer, suffer because of that. Um, but, but he wanted to merit the and being there and not have to do the Gilgul, not have to roll. So it's the same word. Okay, so that should be further encouragement. Um, uh, uh, that Ilfa even heard that story and he said, I'm never going to leave the land of Israel. You too, Rabba, you should come. And Rabba's brothers further wrote in the letter, even though you are a great sage. True, everyone recognizes that. But still, learning on your own is not the same as learning from a teacher. So come to Israel so you can learn from the great sages that are here. And not not just learn on your own. You're the greatest sage in Bavel. So you know who are you going to learn from there? And Rabbi, we know what you're thinking. You're going to say, "Well, I don't have a teacher. Who am I going to go study with in Israel?" No, come, Rabbi Yochanan, the greatest sage of of all of all Amoraim and Eretz Yisrael. Um, he's still around. He's still alive. He lived for a long time. He was like for a second generation. And so, Rabbi, come and study with Rabbi Yochanan. That's another benefit. And if you don't come to Israel, the brothers say, we still have some important advice for you, some health advice. Number one, don't sit too much because sitting is not good for your bottom, can cause hemorrhoids. And don't stand too much because standing too much can give you heart trouble. Don't walk too much because that's not good for sight. What should you do? Divide it into three. You should sit a third of the time, stand a third of the time, and walk a third of the time. All right, that is good advice not to sit to sit too long, certainly. Um, and also get enough steps in. Okay. Um, some more advice about standing and sitting. If you have sitting, if you're sitting without support, right, without a back or something, then it's better to stand, more comfortable to stand than to sit without support. Hold on. Is it really better to stand? You just said that standing leads to heart disease. No, we meant is that if you sit without back support, then standing with support, uh, you could lean on something is better. So sitting or standing without any support, that's both not good. Um, but better to have something to lean on, um, even if you're standing. These three sages will identify them. Um, all said the same thing. Uh, so this is another thing that they said that said in the letter. This has nothing to do with Eretz Yisrael, but while we're quoting their letter, they mentioned a few uh, important things. They wanted to tell them the halacha is like Rabbi Yehuda regarding female mules. Uh, a female mule in heat, you should not mate the female mule with uh, a horse or a, uh, a horse or a donkey because that would be uh, kilayim. Rather, you have to mate her with one of her own kind, another mule. 
All right. Amalav Nachman Bar Yitzchak. Yitzchak Zed Bi Yitzchak Napacha. Shimon Zed Bi Shimon Ben Pazi. Shavam Rila Resh Lakish. Oshaya Zed Bi Oshaya Bi. It's identifying these three sages who were in the letter. They were not called by their full names. Uh, Yitzchak is referring to Yitzchak. Napacha Shimon could be either Shimon ben Pazi or it could be Ribi Shimon ben Lakish, or known in the in the Talmud Bavli as Resh Lakish. Uh, so we're not even sure which one it is. Oshaya is Ribi Oshaya, the son of Ribi Yehuda Hanasi. That halacha was referring to a hini, which is pictured right here. Uh, they are somewhat less common than mules because they're not as useful or as strong as the males, uh, male mules. Um, but nevertheless, the point is that um, we can uh, we can only mate this um, female mule with another male mule, not with a horse or a donkey, even though it is a product of a horse and a donkey. All right. And I'm hiding back to the theme of resurrection. Uh, the those who are ignoramuses, who do not study Torah, will not enjoy resurrection. Those who are already considered dead because they're not using their life for anything productive, uh, they will, if the, all the more so, will not, um, uh, will not benefit from future life. So we're just taking the full the, the full pasuk that says metim balichu refaim bal yakumu. The original is just a parallelism saying the same thing twice. Those who are dead will not live. Uh, those who are shades, meaning just you know weak like ghosts uh, or, or shadows, uh, they will not arise. So the Gemara is asking metim balichu. If we had that alone, it would sound like all dead will not arise. Can it be that no one? Will uh, have resurrection? No. The second clause is explaining the first. Only those are rifaim. We're taking an 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 uh, in the sense of weak. Those who are weak when it comes to learning Torah, they're lax in their energy to go learn Torah, and they're, therefore they're ignoramuses. Um, that's what it's talking about. They will not not arise, uh, but er, uh, others who do will arise. God is not pleased with what you said. In other words, Rabbi Elazar here is saying that uh, ignoramuses, which is most Jews, just regular, regular run-of-the-mill Jews who aren't so learned, none of them are going to be resurrected. Rabbi was bothered by that, and he said Hashem would be bothered by by you saying that, disparaging. Uh, people who are just because they're not great sages. Um, so rather, he explains the Pasuk differently. Someone who weakens himself, weakens his will, and gives in to idolatry. That's what it's talking about. They will not um, they be resurrected. But as long as someone is strong against idolatry and they believe in Hashem, then that's uh, that's good enough. Rabbi Lazar says, fine, you're going to disagree with that pasuk? I'm sticking to my guns and I will have another pasuk to prove my point. A few Pesukim later, in that very same chapter in Yeshaya, says that Hashem, your dew is like a dew of light, and earth will bring life 
to these refaim, to these shades or these weak ones. What does that mean? Kol mishtamesh be'or Torah, or Torah mechayehu. V'choshen mishtamesh be'or Torah, and or Torah mechayehu. So we're talking about your light. Your light is like dew, just like dew goes into the ground and brings to life the dead seeds. So too, God, those who use your Torah, which is light, they will um, uh, they will be re- resurrected, and those who do not uh, enjoy for the, and use the the light of the Torah, those who do not study Torah, they will not be resurrected. So the Bielazad has uh, see another uh, another proof uh, that's only the resurrection is only for the sages. The Bielazad saw that Biochanan was now upset. Um, because even though, yeah, he had a good proof, but Biochanan cared for the whole community. He doesn't want, he wants everyone to, uh, to be able to uh, enjoy the world to come. So Biel says, wait, don't worry. I found a, a way to fix them from, and it's in the Torah. The Torah says, it was talking to, Moshe is talking to everyone. Oh, everyone who cleaves, who cleaves to God, you will be alive like this day. In other words, you will live again. So it's promising future life. To everyone. Now, what does it mean? Those who are who cling to Hashem. Is it possible to cling to Shekhinah? It's not a physical presence. How can you do that? Hashem is compared to fire, in fact. Can you cling to fire and not get burnt? Rather, when it says cling to God, it doesn't mean you can't do that literally, but rather it means to cling to a Torah scholar. So if you're not a Torah scholar yourself, then someone who marries off his daughter to a Torah scholar and then, and then gives support to, to him, or you do business. Uh, with a Torah scholar and give him a good deal in uh, in, in trading with him um, and helping him in his in his business or someone who uh, in any way be- gives benefit to a Torah scholar from his money. The Torah says that is like clinging to the Shekhinah and that is a path, in fact, for Ameha um, Aretz uh, to gain resurrection by uh, uh, supporting those who do study Torah. And also in David, he says, to love God, listen to his voice, to cleave to him. This is another uh, Midrash, it's also in the Sifre. That says, is it possible to cling to God? You can't do it literally, but rather through supporting those, those who study Torah, that is a way to be as if one is clinging to the Shekhinah. Says in the future, the righteous people will sprout forth and uh, appear in Jerusalem. As it says, they blossom out of the city. The people will blossom like grass of the earth, right? They just uh, come up, uh, well, they're buried underground. So, yeah, they will, um, um, just like, you know, you could, just like uh, vegetation um, uh, sprouts up from the ground. 
so too will the people in resurrection. When it says um, uh, this, the city in this pasuk in Tehilim must be talking about Jerusalem, because in Melachim also refers to the city, this city, and is referring to Yerushalayim. Don't worry, when you're resurrected, you're not going to be naked, but rather you'll uh, you'll be uh, resurrected with clothes on and. And uh, we can know that from a kava chomed, from a stalk of wheat, machitashin bara aruma. When you're going to plant uh, seeds of wheat, you plant them just the seed by itself without anything on it. It's naked. But yet, when the wheat grows, it has the layers of chaff on top of it. That's his clothing. So righteous people who uh, who who are buried with everyone is buried with uh, with uh, clothing on, with the burial shrouds. All the more so that they will get up and be dressed. Okay, what kind of fashion will they be? Uh, up to date fashion doesn't say. Uh, talking about things sprouting from the ground miraculously. Also in the future, Israel, uh, uh, the agriculture of Israel will be so fantastic uh, that um, an entire cake, a whole, uh, uh, a whole you know, finished cake will uh, grow from the ground. And also wool clothing. You won't have to you know, get the wool and spin and all that. It'll grow from the ground already made. As the Pasuk and Tilim says, abundant grain be in the land. And pisat means uh, like a, a hand uh, or a palm uh, that you can just go and take it. It'll be uh, already there, already and valuable. Um, the truth is, if you look at agriculture today and you see the, the uh, tractors and the combines, um, by the time they, uh, they, they, they pass through, just in, in one second, the machine is already uh, harvested and, um, and uh, removes the chaff and uh, has it all prepared for, uh, for the next level of processing. It's like, you know, almost flour. By the time it gets um, it gets in for, for on the tractor already itself. Okay, uh, continuing with that pasuk that this abundant grain be on the land and on the mountains. That in the future the uh, stalks of wheat will be so high they'll be as high as a palm tree and go up to the top of the mountain. Now you're going to say, well, it seems like a great blessing, but what about the person who has to reap it? He's going to have to re reap this giant thing. It's very difficult for him. Rather, don't worry, we have a solution to that also. Um, Hashem will bring a wind and it will blow and uh, that will make all of the grains fall from the stalk of wheat and all you have to do is go out and just pick up a palm full of flour. It'll be all prepared there and you take it home and you have, the farmer will have livelihood for his household. And in fact, today, right, farmers with these GPS tractors, they don't even have to drive the tractors. They press a button, tractor goes and it brings back um, the finished product of the, the wheat all ready to go. Im hayalib kelyot hayta back to Ha'azinu um, uh, that uh, Shem is going to uh, feed you with the kidney fat of wheat. The fat means here the the um, the, uh, the the fat that's in the uh, in the wheat. 
אמרו עתידך איתה שתהי כליות של שוד הגדול. Why is it comparing the, the uh, sustenance of wheat to fat? That the wheat is going to be as big as the two kidneys of a big ox. And don't be astonished and think it's impossible. In fact, one time, people went and found that there was a turnip that was so big, a fox made a, a, a hollowed it out and lived in it. And they weighed that term, that turnip, and found even with even without the part that it dug out, it was sixty litra and the big litra of sipori. Okay, here's a pretty large turnip. This one itself is not as big for a fox to live in, but um, uh, but uh, uh, if a turnip can be so big, so too a piece of wheat can be as big as an ox kidney. Tanya, Amar Rav Yosef, Maase Beshichin Bechad Sheniach Lo Aviv Shelosha Bade Hardal Venif Shach Achad Mehen Vimsu Bo Tisha Kabin Hardal Vesav Sikechu Bo Sukat Yosrin. Another example of giant vegetation. Uh, one time in Shichin, a village in Eretz Yisrael, a father had left um, his uh, his son three branches of mustard. This is what. Mustard usually looks like when it's grown, and you get the seeds of the mustard, different types. So uh, usually they're not that big, but these were so big uh, that one of them broke, and he was uh, he found on one branch alone nine kav, nine giant uh, uh, measurements of mustard, and uh, that branch itself broke, and with its wood they were able to roof um, a booth for artisans. Just from one mustard branch, they could make a whole booth. Um, okay. Rabbi Shimon ben Tachlif has a similar story regarding a cabbage stalk that his father left him. It was so tall they could climb up and down it with a ladder. Uh, so this may be the uh, source of Jack and the Beanstalk story. And on that high point, uh, we'll end here and we'll finish off the rest of the uh, Agadah on the last stuff tomorrow. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen.